Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. We've got a great episode for you today. We're going to wrap up all but one of the second-round playoff series. We will preview Game 7 of Boston-Washington and the Western Conference Finals. And then we're going to wrap things up with a little bit of NBA draft talk, as the Combine is this wrapped up this weekend and the draft lottery is Tuesday. Before we get underway... Just wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter, at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so check us out there. We'd love it if you subscribe, download, left some reviews. Any feedback would be great. And you can find us this year on FanRag Sports, so follow them on Twitter, at FanRag Sports, and for their NBA content, at FanRagNBA. As the offseason gets underway for a bunch of teams, we'll have some good offseason coverage, lots of conference finals, previews, NBA draft stuff. So, lot- And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. That's a good NBA content at FanRag Sports. As always this week, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? It's going well, Brian. You got that intro down, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this week I'm also not jet-lagged, so that's helping a lot. Yeah, so uh, Sarah, your Spurs. Let's let's start with them because last time we talked, they had I think they had just gone up two to one. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you guys went through a little bit of a scare in Game Five as Kawhi Leonard went down late with an ankle injury. Despite that, Danny Green, Patty Mills, uh, and of course Manu Ginobili came up with some insane. Game-saving, game-clinching plays in overtime. Uh, then game six, Leonard sat out. You had no Tony Parker. And yet, if you look at the box score, I mean, it looked like Kawhi must have played for the Rockets because you won by 39 <laughs> points. Uh, so what were your big takeaways for the Spurs from this series? That's a good question. <laughs> I think one of the big things is, you know, the young guys came in and kind of held their own. Um mm-hmm. I, I told you that I, I've been looking forward to DeJounte Murray in the future, not knowing if he'd get hardly any minutes this postseason, and he may not have had uh, Tony not going down. But 
it was great to see him bounce back from that sort of rough first outing. And there again, I think Pop has said about him that it doesn't really seem like any moment's ever too big for him. And I think even then that was the case. It, it wasn't the moment was too big. It was, I think he took a little bit to adjust to the playoff intensity. And of course he had Patrick Beverly across from him. Um, and he, and he sometimes has a tendency. Those are the two things he has to work on is he tends to turn the ball over a little bit sometimes. And he has to work on getting a consistent jump shot, but, um, Man, he really he really bounced back and had had a nice series overall. Jonathan Simmons was really good all series, mm-hmm. and um, really like like you mentioned in Game Five. I know Manu's block kind of stands out, but Danny Green, man, yeah, I wanted I wanted to hug Danny Green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was incredible. I mean, he gets so much crap, and he really was the hero in my opinion of that. I mean, they all pulled together, but I mean, no one could score on either team. For mm-hmm. for most of the fourth quarter and overtime, <laughs> and and Danny came through. It was incredible. Yeah, he had a couple big plays there, and I, I mm-hmm. think you're right. The Manu's block kind of overshadows everything, but yeah. they're not in position to win that game without Danny Green. So we will talk about your Spurs in a little bit because the conference finals are about to get underway. We got to turn to the Rockets now since their season is unfortunately over. Uh, Mort, I think <laughs> the big question, obviously, is what the hell happened to James Harden? In Game 5, you know, he was playing lights out for most of the game, and then come the fourth quarter in overtime, as Sarah mentioned, he just forgot how to score. And then Game 6, he had <laughs> he picked about the worst possible time to have his worst possible game of the season. So what, do you think this was just a matter of fatigue? Was it Pop just figured out how to defend him? Was it he was on drugs, as Stephen A. Smith alluded to? Um, I, I thought we agreed that we shouldn't swear on this podcast, Brian. <laughs> right. Sorry. So I'm not, not going to mention what SAS said. Uh, look, I think it's a combination of him being fatigued and the Spurs figuring him out, as well as, look, let's be honest, that is a game that where you have to like be at your finest mentally as well. Like, mm-hmm. some guys just crumble a little bit. Not, and, and I'm not saying that's a pattern of his or anything. I'm just saying that, you know, stuff happens. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I, 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 I don't really hold this game against him as much as <laughs> Twitter did. Oh, my God. Yeah, my God. Yeah, they were, they were harsh. Uh, look, it was, it was probably the worst way to end the sort of season that he has had, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that's why we are putting it under the magnifying glass. But let's be honest, Pop defended the hell out of him in terms of, you know, X's and O's. Uh, and he, mm-hmm. he figured him out, and the Spurs, it does lead the league in defense in the regular season. I mean, they were they were number one for a reason. So, and they figured out, you know what, let's let's get everyone else to beat us but James. Well, right. it, it worked. And I, I think that, he, you know, it, it already began early in the series, and I think it just went to his head a little bit. Whenever he got the mm-hmm. ball in game six, he was like looking around. He was nervous, which is, again, mm-hmm. completely understandable. He was overwhelmed, and uh, I, I think people are just being too hard on him. Although, yeah. going to the club afterwards might not <laughs> might not send the best signal, James. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I did not even see game six live. I was indulging in one of the best sushi feasts of my life. So <laughs> afterward, I just looked at the box score and was 
like what in God's yeah. name happened? And then, yeah, going back and watching it afterward, Mort, I think you're right. I think they did kind of get in his head. And we talked about this last week. You know, game one, everyone on the Rockets went off, and game four, kind of the same thing. And it was like, it seemed like the Spurs' game plan was just do not let him as a passer beat us. Right. Let him beat us as a scorer. But then it seemed like in game six, he was really trying to force the passing early. Yeah. Like, he didn't even take a <clears throat> shot until the second quarter, right? So Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think he just played right into the Spurs' hands. Uh, and, it, you know, kudos to Pop. We mentioned it last week. It was a chess match that was very one-sided. Um, so now let's look ahead to the what lies next for the Rockets. Sarah, I mean, based on what we thought about the Rockets in the preseason and what we saw how their season ended, but, you know, how they fared throughout the year. Would you say this year was a success for them? Was it a disappointment, or was it somewhere in the middle there? It absolutely was a success. Oh. Yeah, there's no question about that. The The last game was a disappointment, no question. Like, even if you're going to end up losing the series, you'd like for them to, to show a little more than what they showed in the final game. But. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, no, that doesn't have any bearing on whether their season was a success or not. It definitely was. Um, it, it will be interesting to see where they go from here because, you know, they definitely found a style that works for them, especially throughout the regular season and early in the playoffs. Um, but are they going to try to adjust at all? Like going back to the question about James Harden, I think, like you mentioned, it, that it was a chess match and, and it went one way. I think... You know, James Harden was trying to kind of figure out a game plan on the fly in Game 6, and he didn't have a lot of help in that area. And so, like you said, it's like he's he's trying to force the passing. He feels like he has to get other people involved, and he probably does have to, but the Spurs were forcing him to be aggressive. And he probably mm-hmm. needed to do that first instead because that's what the defense was giving him, uh, and maybe that would have opened up some, some of his shooters. But hey, it's tough. I mean, <laughs> D'Antoni has to has to come up with some kind of uh, adjustment that doesn't involve the words run or transition <laughs> or we got to be faster. You know, that's right. all he ever says. Uh, there's got to be something else to it than that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, Mort, what do you think next for the Rockets? Where do they go from here in terms of off-season moves? Do they need, you know, are they like Toronto or the Clippers that are facing this big blow-it-up dilemma or do you think they can basically just run back this same group win another 50 55 games and be right back in the mix next year absolutely absolutely that last one i mean look clint capella uh this season played around 24 minutes uh, a game so essentially a half and he averaged mm-hmm. 12.6 points and 8.1 rebounds like that's high production for a young center so he's gonna grow mm-hmm. And he is really an exceptional pick-and-roll big man. Like, he really reads defense as well in terms of where can he go? Like, what's my lane? Where where can I stick, you know, my body? And where can I, you know, dive? And where can I jump? And everything. Like, he reads it so well. And he has this ESP with James Harden, which is rather incre- incredible. If he just gets somewhat of a touch from around mm-hmm. 15, 16 feet, that's going to open everything up for him. So, so there is like that level of internal improvement, and then they're gonna have some available money. I mean, it's not like they can afford someone big, but you know they can go out and get some role players, 
and D'Antoni is likely going to get, you know, him and Mori are probably going to get someone who can shoot, I would <laughs> just a guess. Um, but, yeah, the the priority has to be a two-way player, like a Trevor Ariza yeah. clone, essentially, mm-hmm. because they can't have any more, you know, undersized two guards coming off the bench and just shooting. Like, I love Lou, I love Eric Gordon as well. They, they are doing an amazing job for him in total. But you need that Tony Allen type coming off the bench. Yeah, for sure. With a jump we should, shot. We should mention, like, you know, Nene got hurt in, right. I think it was game four, and that was a big absence for them in games five and game six. It, you know, it, it forced them to downsize, which worked out well for much of game five. But, again, the fatigue seemed like it set in late in game five. Again, we don't know exactly what happened in game six with Harden and the rest, but one could assume they might have just burned out because, you know, Throughout the year, D'Antoni was very much like, look, <laughs> you know, you keep asking me about rests. James isn't having that. He's just not going to listen to me. So, you know, he talked already about he's planning on resting Harden more next year. That could make a difference. I think you're totally spot on with Capella. I forget if it was D'Antoni or Maury who said this, but they were basically saying this dude could be, you know, he might not actually make an all-star game, but he could be an all-star caliber center. He yeah. could be that second star that we already have on the roster. So I think you're right on, Mort. I don't I don't think they need to blow it up. They've got a lot of their guys signed long-term, so they're in a good shape moving forward. It's just a matter of filling out their roster. But I think, you know, based on the success they had this year, especially as Sarah alluded to, uh, you know, based on that compared to what we thought they would be, I think they probably will. Whichever ring-chasing veterans don't sign with the Warriors or the Cavs or the Spurs... Mm. Like, the Rockets are going to be right there in that mix. So, they'll have some money to play with. That They should be... Don't worry, Rockets fans. You're, you've got some good times coming up. Um, let's now switch to the one series, the second round series, that's still going on. John Wall just couldn't let us preview both conference finals, could he? <laughs> you just had yep. to go and ruin it. So, Game 5 of Boston-Washington. The Celtics just wiped the floor with the Wizards. Uh, game six, <laughs> Boston returned the favor of the funeral attire pregame uh, that Washington did in, during the regular season, dressed in all black. John Wall did not take kindly to that, hit a ridiculous three-point shot in the closing seconds to send it to a game seven. Uh, <laughs> and then stood on the announce table and said, don't wear all black in my city. So, yeah, that motivational tactic backfired a little bit for yeah. Boston. Yeah. So... Mort, let's let's talk Game Seven. Uh, it's Monday night, eight o'clock. What do you think the keys are? I, all ten matchups in this uh, between Boston and Washington regular season and playoffs have gone gone to the home team. So, based on that, you're think you you know seems like Boston's probably the favorite. But what do you think Washington can do to break that streak? Oh, I'm throwing the whole you know home corner advantage thing out the window. Like, the number one thing you have to write on the blackboard if you're Boston is don't talk to John Wall. <laughs> yeah, right. At this point, yeah. I think he is the second best point guard in the league. I don't wow. see... No, but seriously, like, look at it. Who's better? Who's I, the first? Curry. Okay. So you think he's better than Westbrook? Actually, yeah. And Paul. Mm. And Paul. Wow. I think he is reaching that level now. 
Yeah, because, I mean, look, look, no one, no one talks about him. He's he's been talking about this, and I've said this on this podcast before. Like, mm-hmm. he's out there saying, "Where's my billboard?" I get right, that. Right. Like this year, yeah. his his scoring average went up to twenty three. He's he averages eleven assists. He's still a terrific defender. He's a wonderful mm-hmm. rebounder. He gets to the line. He is no longer a liability shooting wise. And when he's hot, like he has that ability to go five or eight from from outside. So you can't really just let him go from out, from the outside. You have to guard him. You have to have defenders rotate out on him and jump out on him. Whatever he, he's essentially not, you know, you can't guard him. He's unguardable right mm-hmm. now. We're looking at Isaiah Thomas. We're looking at Stephen Curry. We're looking at Russell Westbrook. We're seeing those guys who can put up these huge offensive numbers. And we're never mentioning John Wall because he's not the type of guy who goes out there and gets, you know, 55. You know, I, I do think he had a 50-pointer this year. He did. Mm-hmm. He actually had one. And he's also had a 40-pointer this year in the playoffs. But we don't talk about him. And I think, you know, we, we know Damian Lillard is all about, oh, you know, when you ignore me, I'm going to get better. <laughs> yeah, right. John Wall just shuts the hell up and gets better. Yeah. Like, he does it. He puts in the work. And he's he's not like Dame who chips all the way chirping and, you know, I'm going to get better. You know, he just <laughs> he goes out and proves. And right now, I'm like, he's he's probably the second best point guard in the league. Because I think there's, he, he yeah, defends. There's an argument to be made. Right. Uh, it's not totally crazy. I'll say that much. Yeah. I, look, I get the Russell Westbrook thing, but, like, how much defense did Russ play this year? Right. And then CP3... Just the injuries have to, and the age. Yeah, and make well, you... it's, not, it's not even that. It's the fact. Look, I love CP3. He steps up to his game, but not to the extent that I want him to. Mm, like, yeah. look, look, look at where John John Wall was in the regular season, and compare it, it to the playoffs now. Like, his mm-hmm. scoring volume has increased. He's scoring like four more points a game. Like, he he's one of those guys who, instead of seeing his number decrease in the playoffs, he just enhances them, which yeah. means that that's a serious baller right there. That's that's a guy you can count on. That's a guy who takes everything seriously. So I'm I'm loving what he does, and I have a feeling that Washington is going to pull this one out. He is going to be all in. And Isaiah Thomas, over the last four games, 19.3 points a game on 39% shooting. Mm. He has yeah, to go I... out and get 40. Yeah, he had the opportunity in Game 6 to end the series, which, you know, with... Two seconds left, which should have been three, as the NBA later yeah, yeah. said. Uh, but, yeah, it was a little off target there. Uh, Sarah, where do you stand on Game 7? Who do you see winning? What do you see the keys to that game being? I am a little worried about the game being in Boston, but I, I think I'm going to stay with more. Stay with what we said last week, because we all just want to see the Wizards move on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I, I'm going to say the Wizards find a way to pull it out in Game 7. Uh as they even mentioned, they, they've been close in Boston. Mm-hmm. They just have uh, not been able to finish games. So that will be a big key. Um, points in the paint, I think, when they win that battle, they have a pretty good chance. So hopefully they can get into the paint a little bit. But, yeah, just uh, obviously try to stay with IT. If you keep them shooting uh, sub 40%, that's pretty big. I don't think they'll keep them that low, but... Uh, like 45 wouldn't be terrible uh, try to make him a, a volume scorer volume shooter mm-hmm. um, see what see what happens <laughs> obviously Wall and Beal have to go off that's that's the other 
kind of unheralded moment. Uh, John Wall's three stands out, but Bradley Beal hit a three just before that right. uh, to help to help steal that game too. So those guys got to be big. I think they will be. I hope so. Question yeah. is, like, do they really need to? Because when you look at Game Six, Otto Porter didn't score in 36 minutes. So right. if he carries his responsibility, like gets 15, that's 15 points that you don't really need from the two other guys. Like he's, mm, I don't think true. there's any chance in hell Otto Porter goes scoreless again in 36 minutes. So, I hope not. No, that, no. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, but it's yeah. I'm I'm right there with you. I I think Washington right now has this series in the palm of their hands. I would be very impressed with Boston. Let me just put it that way. If they take this from them, see, I, I my heart is saying Washington, but my brain mm. is saying Boston because as Sarah, as you mentioned, I. You know, and we talked about last week, I think a Washington-Cleveland Eastern Conference Finals is just more entertaining. Uh, that said, having lived in D.C. for eight years and witnessed what happens to D.C. Oh, sports no. teams, <laughs> they routinely go into these situations and just find new and more vicious ways to disappoint their fans. So having just watched the Caps collapse last week in Game 7 at home, uh, I, I am worried. I, you know, I think last time I said Washington and seven, I think I would lean toward Boston this week just because it's DC and <laughs> this is what DC teams do. But we'll see what happens Monday, game seven, they get eight o'clock. Hopefully, our boys in DC can pull it out. Uh, let's move on to the other two series that closed out. They were a little less surprising in their outcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Warriors, Jazz. I mean, George Hill missed the last three games, so it was just that, you know, the Jazz already needed a perfect confluence of circumstances to topple the Warriors, and that did not happen. You know, after the after the sweep was official... There was this weird Twitter backlash on, like, Monday and Tuesday about the Warriors being too good and ruining the playoffs, and then how all of a sudden, like, these this entire playoff sucked, even though the first round was great. It was, like, two, <laughs> two relatively unsurprising sweeps somehow made the Warriors even, you know, the, the NBA's bane of their existence. And that, then Warriors fans, of course, became more defensive, and that was just a whole... Twitter was not a good place to be this week. So... Sarah, I mean, your Spurs, as we'll talk about shortly, are now going against the Warriors. Do you think, do you buy into this storyline that the Warriors have ruined the playoffs by being too good? They haven't ruined the playoffs. I think <laughs> their games have been somewhat boring, in my opinion. You mm -hmm. know, it's it gets old after a while, seeing teams not really be able to get it much closer than, you know, 10. And if, if you could be within 10 at certain quarters of the game then that's a success that's kind of sad um and although like you know utah did have moments where they were right there it just it felt always inevitable and ended up happening that golden state just pulled back away again uh, so it gets disheartening to watch as a fan who just wants to see something close yeah. um but but no, they haven't ruined the entire playoffs just thankfully they don't play every game every round <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's hope they don't. I mean, yeah. now, now they will, but... Yeah, yeah. 
Um, the other big Warriors-related storyline from the last week was Draymond Green on his Dre Day podcast uh, <laughs> opined about Kelly Olynyk. You know, last week we mentioned that he had a little scrap with Kelly Oubre. Draymond said he had no respect for Kelly Olynyk, called him a dirty player. Uh, Sarah, thoughts on that one? Um, I will say that Olenek has earned some of that like I mentioned Mm. that a few weeks ago that Mm -hmm. you know some of the things he's done are definitely questionable Uh, but yeah it's a little hypocritical for Draymond (laughs) to call anybody dirty Uh, he's definitely walked that line and and, uh, skipped over it a few times himself so that's just funny and it's funny that he doesn't think that it's ironic at all Right. It's like, what? Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, right. I know. He Then he got mad at the media for yeah. bringing this up and making it a storyline. As if, like, what, what were you expecting to happen, Dre? It's not... It's like when, yeah, Donald Trump gets mad at the media for reporting facts. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's trolling us. I, it seems like it. probably is. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just... I don't think that you as a human being can be that... I don't know, you know, just completely clueless as to the right. situation. Like he, oh, you'd be surprised though. <laughs> I mean, some people like have no self awareness, or it's okay true. because whatever they do is okay because they do it. You know? Yeah, you know, but, you might be I right. Know, I, I just have. He's probably too smart for that. <laughs> I, I might just have too much hope for people. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's saying because what Kelly like he's pulling the arm bar and doing hard screens and that's dirty, but kicking dudes in the dick is fine. That's that's clearly <laughs> yeah no, that his sense. train of thought. Different set of standards. Yeah, yeah, right. He has standards, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's talk about the Jazz then, because they, like a bunch of other teams that just got knocked out, are facing a pretty critical summer. Mm. Gordon Hayward is all but certain to opt out of his contract, uh, likely facing a max either from Utah, Boston, Indiana, we've heard talks about. George Hill is on the wrong side of 30, He's a free agent. Mm. Joe Inglis is a restricted free agent. He's probably looking at at least twelve to fifteen million a year. Yeah. George Hill, at least twenty, if not more. So, what do you think Utah does this summer? Do you think they roll it back if they can? Do you think they let Inglis walk and re-sign Hill and Hayward? What would you do if well, you were in charge of the Jazz? It all depends on Hayward, obviously. Like, if he mm-hmm. leaves, then there is no reason to re-sign George Hill or. Uh, Joe Ingles, because Ingles is himself is like 29, I think, mm-hmm. 29, 30, mm-hmm. something like that. So that wouldn't even make sense. So that let the first pawn fall. Let's see where, where Gordon ends up. Like I have a feeling that Gordon sticks with Utah, though. I, I mean, look, he. I don't remember when this was, if it was in the first round or it's in this round, but at the end of the game, one game, I think it was in the first round, actually. He got interviewed after a game, and the fans were just like, completely overwhelming him like with support he was looking around the stadium while he was talking to someone and just you could just see that he it hit him it really mm-hmm. hit him and i'm not mm-hmm. the type of guy who usually says oh when you have an emotional uh moment that's going to carry over but yet this time it seemed like it could like gordon was legitimately moved he looked around was like like yeah this is my town this is my town mm-hmm. this right here and I wouldn't be surprised to see him stick around Utah at all. In fact, I would actually be surprised if he left. Yeah. So, you know, and if if we use that as a measuring stick, then yeah, you sh- they should get 
George Hill and Joe Inglis back, even if it's going to cost them a hell of a lot, because what are you going to do otherwise? Right. So it's yeah. yeah um, so all in if Gordon is in, is in. If not, build around Gobert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Uh, I I like you. Do not think Gordon Hayward is going anywhere. I don't know. It doesn't, you know, you could kind of tell most of the time mm-hmm. when a big free agent is at least entertaining the thought of leaving. Yeah. Like, there's, there there just seem to be a few calculated leaks. Like, and even, you know, Jimmy Butler and Paul George are not free agents. They would have to be traded. But, like, there's a lot of smoke around those guys. And, you know, it's rarely like a Carmelo Anthony, Phil Jackson situation where, the, oh, where a, yeah. a team president is literally forcing the guy to leave. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, from all indications, it sounds like Gordon wants to go back. Utah would happily have him back. It sounds like they will max him without question. So mm-hmm. I'm expecting him to say, I get nervous about a max deal for George Hill because, again, he's already past 30. But uh, would I you, think. Would, would you max him, a, though? Like, do you think I he's mean, getting max? Is probably a better question. I can't so, imagine I mean, him getting a max. I know, because this year, I'm going to write about this soon, uh, but this year the max is just so prohibitive that I feel like any team that maxes, I mean, hell, you know, even Hayward, like, he's going to get the max, but that could look ugly in a couple years. What? Like, the max is, it's just, yeah, it's so huge. It's just such a huge amount of money that, like, it's gone to the point now you know the the max under the old cap and under the old structure mm. it was like you could give the max to you know guys outside the top 10 out top 15 top 20 like you can give it to Harrison Barnes and that's just fine because that's how the old salary structure was right, but right. like now it's going back to the point where it really should be reserved for like top 10 top 15 players and then you know George Hill Give him twenty five million to start, but that's better than thirty or thirty five. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, I, I think you, if he's like, I'm gonna leave if I don't get a max. Like Sacramento has offered me the max, and I will willingly go to Sacramento. Then I guess you have to. But I would hope he would be willing to take like four years, a hundred million or something, and yeah. call it a day. Because yeah. that's still an astronomical amount of money, but it's not. That's a Giannis contract, actually. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I, right. I still disagree in regards to Gordon Hayward, though. I think he's on the optic. I, I you mm-hmm. know, he had a great year, great year this year, and I think he's going to build on it. I don't think he's done mm-hmm. growing at all. It wouldn't surprise me one bit to see him become like a twenty-five point eight rebound, five assist guy at some point. Yeah. Uh, okay, eight rebounds is actually a little bit more. I just looked at his numbers. He's never been up in that category, but. He's going to be one of those top-tier forwards in the league. So I don't really have a problem maxing him out. But like mm-hmm. you said, like George Hill is not on that level. He's right. like a tier below at least, if not two. Mm-hmm. I, I probably would, even myself, would go 25 is a bit much when you consider his age. Yeah. So I would be more open-minded to say, you know what, George, I'm going to max you for two years. Or I'm going to stretch it out a little bit longer and then get you down to, like, 20 a year. Mm-hmm. That'd be fine. Like, max him for two yeah. because then he's productive in year 31 and year 32. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And then you can renegotiate afterwards. 
But if yeah. he says, I want the long-term you know, commitment, I want the long-term security, then you say, you know what? 80, 85 million over four, over four years. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. Yeah, if you could. I mean, going back to Hayward, the, here's my thing. Like, he's, the max salary for him next year would be $30.3 million, yeah. which in his age 27 season, fine. In his age 31 season, he would be getting basically $40 million. Right. So that's where it gets dicey. Like, the first two or three years of his contract, totally fine. Those last two years, though, he's going to be making about seventy-seven point five million. Well, thirty-one. Thirty-one. Thirty-one isn't that isn't that much anymore. If you look at age, like you know, NBA teams are so adept now at keeping yeah. these guys fresh, and and the longevity is just you know going through the roof. I I am looking at the thirty age thirty-two as like the cutoff. After you have your age thirty-two season, that's when I start to get a little bit you know nervous. Thirty-one. Right. That's that's like end of your prime. That's still good. It's not you're not you know it's starting to decline really. You're still you're just wrapping up your prime, nice and cozy. I but wouldn't do have you a problem. Think, could can Gordon Hayward be the number one option on a championship team? Oh, but that question though is that is so such a difficult question. Like I saw that being asked about Jimmy as well. And mm-hmm. like we don't know. Like I, I Yeah, right. I, I mean, you know, and and it really even if he he could be how can we know when you have super teams? Well, that's what I'm saying. Because if you have, if you're paying him forty million, he's you cannot build a super team around him. You can't get two other superstars right, right. around him. But if you look so, at it from a more traditional perspective, like without super teams, I oh yeah, I, I think he could go really, really far. Mm-hmm. I think he's that good. And one thing we haven't talked about, you know, regarding Gordon all year is his defense. It's been outstanding. Yeah, Right, he improved a lot this year. Yeah, and on both ends, like he played, he could not ask for much more in a contract year for him. It's just, right. I, I just keep going back to forty million dollars, and that's, that's yeah. a lot of money if you're not sure he can dominate on both. That's ends. That's right. It is. It is. If it's a it's a good question. You know, if he could be like the lead guy. Mm-hmm. No, in, but, in this that, current know, climate, probably not. But then you can ask Kawhi Leonard. As much as I love Kawhi Leonard, and he's arguably, you know, a top two NBA player right now, mm-hmm. will he be a the best player on a championship team if you have to go up against Golden State with KD, with Curry, with Dre and Clay? You know, I mean, it's such a difficult question. Like, obviously, he's talented enough, but he will always mm-hmm. have to go up against this, you know, the big monster. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, I just so think it's it's kind of an unfair question to Gordon as well. Yeah, I, well, that's the that's like it's whichever team figures out how to work under this new salary cap first and under this new structure first yeah. is going to win multiple rings. But it's a weird time for a teams to have to re-sign these players because you don't know how the league is going to look in three or four years, and that's what makes these decisions so difficult. So this is actually a good seg into. We'll, you know, we'll talk about Cleveland once we can preview the Eastern Conference Finals. So, you know, we talked about Toronto last week a little bit. I want to go right back into that because this is, you know, Toronto, Clippers, Hawks, Jazz for a different reason. You know, the Jazz, I think if they could bring it back, they will. Toronto, Clippers, Hawks, like there is a real question of whether they should blow it up and whether that's a better outcome. Because if they re-sign everyone, they're going way into the luxury tax. 
They will not have the cap space to really fill out their benches. Uh, Masai Ujiri gave a press conference the other day, like after they got swept, and he said, look, it's not realistic to expect all four of our major free agents back. We have Lowry, we have Tucker, we have Ibaka, and we have Patrick Patterson. In all likelihood, if they're going to get rid of one, it's Patrick Patterson. Oh, obviously. But, but even if they, you know, if they bring back all four, uh, Zach Lowe of ESPN had an article about kind of their future. He was saying like it could cost them two hundred and fifty million dollars, including luxury tax payments, to bring back these teams. Which you know, a team that just got swept in the conference semifinals, right, by LeBron and the Cavaliers. So you know, more we, you were on the blow it up camp last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you are you still there for Toronto? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that team has just disappointed for so long now in the postseason. Like, I legitimately thought they had broken that pattern this year when they got Ibaka because then they finally had this big, versatile, you know, stretch four slash defender they could play off of. Mm -hmm. And it just made zero difference, really. Mm -hmm. Like, DeMar DeRozan still got absolutely abused because he can't shoot the three. Kyle was in and out due to injuries, so that's kind of unfair to him. But still, he he didn't really, you know, explode in in the ma- right. in the manner that he could, and everything just seemed off. And Demar Carroll was awful. It's just such a large amount of money that you just you can't roll that team back. And by the way, while while we're at the subject, two hundred and fifty million. I'll just reiterate what I said a couple of months back. Just one million to our podcast, guys. Just one million. <laughs> one bloody yeah. million. Come on. Just chump change. In this yeah. in this market, why not? Come on, guys. Just <laughs> one bloody million. I'll take it. Uh, no, I. they should definitely not roll it back. But, it, you know, it, they might even have their hand forced if Lowry goes mm-hmm. to Philly, which we've heard hey, about. Hey, hey. No, no, no. Hey, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to crab on your team. I'm just talking I about know. the rumors. And right no, now, know. you know, he's he's a North Philly guy, unless I'm mistaken, Villanova yep. guy. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Yeah, I. We'll talk about that <laughs> if it actually comes to fruition. That will not be a good day for us. Let's let's get past the draft lottery first. Right, uh, but if that know, happens. I, like, yeah, no, I know. Right, yeah. At that point, you definitely, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, it Just like Utah in that regard, and the same with the Clippers. You know, if one of those guys leaves, that forces your hand. But if they're willing to come back on the max, right. then you kind of build around them. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, there was a Twitter thread from Ben Falk, who was the former 76ers vice president of basketball strategy, and he worked uh, with the Blazers before that as an analytics manager. Uh, he had this th- thing the other day kind of about in reaction to Lowe's column on the Raptors and how, you know, obviously in the NBA, the goal is to win a championship. That's the number one priority. In a perfect world, every team would be a championship contender. Obviously, that's not the case. There are only so many wins to go around. Some teams are bound to suck. Um, his thing was like, well, if you're not going to build, if you're not going to be a Golden State or a Cleveland or a San Antonio, what's next most important to you? Is it, are you going to prioritize everything on chasing a ring and you're going to sacrifice, you know, you're going to pull a hanky basically and, you know, blow up your team, go through a number of years of rebuilding to accumulate draft picks and young players that could develop into a championship contender? 
Or are you cool with like a 50 win team that makes the second round of the playoffs every year and that gets fans in, you know, in the stadium for playoff revenue and with a lucky break or two, like maybe LeBron James finally slows down a little bit or maybe he like sprains his ankle or something. And, you know, think about bold Sixers from a couple years ago, Mort, like maybe game one, your superstar tears his ACL and now a number eight seed can topple the number one. So it's, you know, in that context, I think it's really interesting to think about Toronto and the Clippers, and I think I wouldn't be surprised to see either team run it back. I feel like Toronto has a better chance of doing so than the Clippers. I just have a sneaking suspicion that Blake Griffin is ready to peace out on the Clippers, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because Toronto, yeah, it's if you re-sign Kyle Lowry to the max, it's five years, $205 million, which is going to be... You know, in his age, I think 35 or 36 season, you're paying him $46.7 million. Which, you know, I I just said I was nervous about 40 for Gordon Hayward in his age 31. Like, that, (laughs) that is terrifying. But at the same time, if you let Kyle Lowry walk, you don't have the cap space to replace him with anywhere near his caliber of point guard. So unless you trade Damari Carroll or trade Jonas Valanciunas... You're basically forced to run it back, and then if things go south, then you start looking, maybe I trade DeRozan. I mean, Mm. I feel like if they could flip Valanciunas or Carroll, they would do it in a heartbeat, if they could do it without giving up any major assets or getting something of value in return. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Sarah, I want to ask you about this, because Jesse Blanchard, the editor-in-chief of B-Ball Breakdown, Uh, got into a convo with me the other day about this. It sounded like in 2011, people were clamoring for the Spurs to blow it up. And then they luck into this little-known prospect named Kawhi Leonard, and the rest is history. So where do you stand with Raptors, Clippers, all these teams kind of at this crossroads? Do you think, is it worth it to, you know, they've got... A nice 45-50 win core? Should they keep that going and pray for a lucky break? Or do you think it's time for some of these teams they've just gotten stale and need to reboot? That, <clears throat> excuse me. That's why, you know, even with the Clippers, who I think if anyone's gotten stale, it's probably them. Mm-hmm. That's why I've I've been a proponent of them keeping it together for as long as I have. I just think, you know, it's it's good to be close. It's good to, you know... Speaking from having 20 years of a successful team, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, they haven't won it every year. They haven't won it even close to every year. But you always kind of felt like they had a chance. Mm-hmm. And and they just were fun to watch, you know. There's something to be said for having a team that you enjoy watching for 82 games, um, regardless of what happens after that. I And even, like, hearing Morton talk about, um, was it, who was it, Joe Ingles? Mm-hmm. Uh He's what, like twenty nine. He's like, well, you know, like my inner Spurs fan rebels against that. It's like, oh my god, you know, we got to move on because he's he's hitting thirty. You know, <laughs> obviously, obviously that's that's very different from my experience. But you know, it doesn't always work that way. You don't always have a guy like Tim Duncan who can push that longevity and, and be that effective well into their late thirties. But but yeah, for the most part, I'm on the side of. Keep it together, mm-hmm. uh, run it back. You're close enough. So you never know what way it's going to break. And yeah, you, you know, hopefully, for those teams, like the Spurs have been lucky in the draft. They've they've done well with prospects. Um, 
even not having high yeah, or high or low, however you want to say it, great draft picks, great value, they they find something. I think you know you you develop your scouting department and hope for the best. Um, but yeah, I, I've gone back and forth with the Clippers, especially lately, uh, just because it does. It feels. And Doc Rivers has even said that, hasn't he? That, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Teams teams do get stale, and you gotta you gotta move on. Uh, I don't think he wants to do that with this particular team, um, but you can feel it. It's weird. There's a weird sort of juju surrounding that team. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, it's anybody's guess on that one. But yeah, as a Spurs fan, yeah, I rebel against some of that talk because <laughs> I just yeah, it's it's been such a different experience for us, but. At the same time, it's been somewhat exceptional. So, right, <laughs> you know, it's hard to argue that that's the rule. Yeah, I think it's hard for more. You and I, you know, both of our teams have just been mired. I mean, your your Bulls, you know, the Rose Noah Bulls were actually really good, but mm-hmm. now now the Bulls are kind of mired in mediocrity. And before Hinky came along, the Sixers were the same way. Like they were in that like thirty-five to forty win. Yeah. area, which I think is very different than consistently 50 wins every year. I think those are two different conversations to have. I think if you've got a 50-win team, ownership is a little more reluctant to blow it up just because, you know, you are. You might not be the favorite, but you're right there. You're, like, comfortably going to make the playoffs every year. And, Sarah, you're right. Like, there's something to be said about, you know, the NBA. Of course, the goal is to win a championship, but it's also an entertainment product. And, like, right. people want to pay to see an entertaining, fun, good team that has a you know a good chance of winning every night. They don't want to pay to see the 2013-14 Sixers, which is very evident by the Sixers, <laughs> you know, their attendance the last couple of years. So, well, I think for bo- for both, it's just going to come down to what ownership prefers. Right. That's. I'm so glad you guys brought up like the entertainment level. Remember Run TMC back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Like that, I'm gonna swear that shit was fun. Like, right. I, I'm, look, if the NBA is listening in on this, I'm gonna admit to something. I've downloaded so many illegal games from from the internet of the, the Run CMC era. Mitch Richmond, Tim Hardaway, Chris Mullen, Tyrone Hill, just running up the court every damn day. They had like um, a thing where everyone in in the crowd they got free pizza if they scored 120. <laughs> and they just scored 120 consistently. Like, everyone got free pizza all the time, and people were just having so much fun because these scores were amazing, and they had this ridiculous offensive flow. And it was just like an enjoyment. Even if they lost, people were like, oh, okay, you know, that happens, but oh my god, I was entertained. Mm-hmm. And then they made the playoffs, and I even believe it was against your Spurs, Sarah. And they actually had... A somewhat decent series, and people were just like the the love and support they got back then, because they had mm-hmm. gone through all those years where they had given it all to entertain the crowd. Then when they reached the playoffs, the the level of support was just rock solid from the entire fan base, which was incredible. So I'm a big proponent of if you're not going to win, then at least be entertaining. Like mm-hmm. the Bulls back in the day did something of the sort, even though it was as you know, a totally suspect basketball move when they traded Elton Brand for Tyson Chandler. (laughs) Stupid-ass trade, but at (laughs) least they got fun because Chandler was this athletic 7'1", at that point in time, power forward, 
who mm-hmm. ran the court like a deer. Then you had Eddie Curry at the same time, who was this shag copy, as least he was supposed to be, and they were just dunking on fools all the time. It was, mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. Like even if they lost, it was it was at some level fun. And you had Jamal mm-hmm. Crawford, who then you know did a lot of street plays and, and whatnot. They tried to bring out a culture of of excitement. Obviously, I was a teen at that point, so I got excited watching that. But it felt as though it was it was necessary because if they weren't going to win, at least you would put, you know, a smile on the faces of all the fans that attended. I think if I was to run an NBA team, that would definitely be my approach. That would be my goal. If I knew I had a crap team, mm-hmm. make that crap team as fun as possible. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Which the Sixers tried to by just running up and down the floor for the last couple of years. They just had they've been fun. players. Yeah, right. Like imagine Ben well, Simmons next year. Like that's gonna be fun. Well, hey, hopefully they won't be a crap as crap of a team next year. Oh, they'll be Not crap. They just won't be like you said as crap. But right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. All right, let's uh, let's change gears here. Let's go into the conference finals previews. Uh, we are recording this on Sunday afternoon before Game 1 of Warriors-Spurs, so full disclosure, we have no idea what's about to happen. But that said, when the lines opened, Warriors were favored by 10 points in Game 1, and they were commanding favorites in the series. Sarah, are you feeling disrespected? Well, I, I heard that it's now just 9.5 points, so <laughs> we're moving on up. Um no, I don't feel disrespected. Uh, it's it's such a weird place to be because I really I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what to expect. It's probably the first time ever, which is absurd in itself, but it's probably the first time ever going into a series that I have like no expectation for anything. I I don't even have like a solid, reasonable hope that they're gonna win. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like you know. Maybe, maybe the Warriors win in five, maybe six would be like best case scenario for for a competitive series. <laughs> right. Um, not that you can't have a competitive sweep. I mean, <laughs> uh, Cavs, Cavs, Pacers was pretty competitive. Yeah. But um, man, it's <laughs> it's gonna be something. First of all, I came straight here from uh, like a Mother's Day brunch. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yes. And uh, my dad. Gave me the directive that I, I'm supposed to tell everyone. My old man says uh, Spurs in seven. Really? Wow. I like so, it. I like it. That's good. <laughs> Which I appreciate. I appreciate that confidence. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't quite go there, but but uh, I appreciate that, Pop. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting, you guys. I hope it is anyway. God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> God forbid the Warriors continue ruining the playoffs. <laughs> so let's talk keys to the series. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard's health is going to be the big one. We don't know how healthy he's going to be. Pop has said he's going to play game one. Uh, so let's talk the bigs, Sarah. How are LaMarcus Aldridge, Pau Gasol going to fare against, especially, you know, against the Warriors in general, but especially against the death lineup with Draymond at the five? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be tough, because um, a lot of what they did. I mean, let's let's give them some credit. They they put a successful spin on the the Houston series. They put their imprint on it. Um, you know, struggled mightily through parts of it, but uh, actually provided some rim protection that that changed the series a little bit. Powell and the Marcus both. Um, 
but a, but a lot of times you would see Pow especially sagging way the heck off of uh, the uh, Harden coming off of the pick, mm-hmm. uh, especially out near the three-point line. You know, he would be like way back in the paint, mm-hmm. kind of daring Harden to, to pull up, and you can't do that with Steph Curry. You right. know, you can't do that with Kevin Durant, really any of the Warriors. So that's all going to be interesting. You know, the fact that the Rockets just really hate that, you know, non-paint too will not take it even if you <laughs> draw a circle around and say, we won't even come anywhere near this. Go right. ahead and have it. They're right. like, no, we don't want it. So, you know, the Warriors will take that. Um, they also will push past. I, I think, you know, Harden is a pretty pretty crafty, good finisher, but he struggled there toward the end of the series. I think Steph is a very, very good finisher that he doesn't always get credit for. Um, so they're going to go at, at that. The Warriors are going to attack, and I just don't know. How how Powell and and, and Lamarcus are going to be able to to deal with that. Um, on the other end, you know they have to try to impose their will. They have to try to really own the glass. That's a big uh-huh. thing against anybody really, but especially the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can't give them uh, two and three chances if they if they miss the first shot. Sure. And you have to really own the offensive glass because, like I said, usually you can't score with them, so you're going to have to get extra opportunities. Um, so they, they've got to do that. LaMarcus has struggled with Draymond. Everyone struggles with Draymond. He's probably <laughs> the defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's going to have to find ways to, you know, rim run, try to try to get set up close to the basket, try to get into paint to begin with. Uh, but Draymond is really good at not letting you do that. He does his work early. Yeah. But, uh, and then, you know, you don't want to bang with him too much because, you know, it's always been deceptive that you think, oh, I can just push him over. You can't push him over, right. so don't get stuck trying to do that. He's going to hold you up, and the guards are going to come dig, and you're screwed. Yeah. So just try to turn and shoot over him because mm-hmm. you do have the height and the length advantage. Um, God, <laughs> hopefully we'll see some of that, uh, but I just don't know. We haven't seen a lot of it in their matchups the past two years. It's really been Draymond kind of owning it, so... And hopefully we'll see some, like, Kawhi LaMarcus pick and roll, pick and pop. Mm. Would be nice. Uh, Patty and Kawhi pick and pop. Something, you know. They, they've got to get the ball moving. Because, yeah, our best offense is often a Kawhi ISO or sometimes mm, a LaMarcus right. post-up. But you can't get away with that all game long against that defense. It's too good. Yeah, definitely not. So how much do you think uh, we're going to see out of the complimentary guys? You know, you mentioned Kawhi and LaMarcus. You know, how, mm-hmm. what are we, you know, a lot of those guys, especially once Parker went down and when Leonard set out in the last game in a quarter, you know, we mentioned Simmons, Patty Mills, Murray, Danny Green, they really stepped up. Do you think they're going to be able to against the Warriors? I do, and they're going to have to yeah. <laughs> if the Spurs are going to have any chance. Um, actually, I've, I've said this about John all year, uh, back to game one, because I saw that in the very first game of the year. Mm-hmm. That was probably his best game of his life, his best game of his NBA career thus far. So it's unreasonable to expect that, you know, there's a probability that he could do that every game. Mm-hmm. I think he had, like, 20-plus points. Um, he blocked Steph Curry at the chase-down block. That was incredible. Uh, you know, he's probably not going to be able to give you that every single game of the series, but you hope. I mean, what we saw against the Rockets, he, he averaged double figures. He was very, very solid with the ball. They'll need that. They need his punch off the dribble, his, you know, cutting into the lane. Um, 
I, yeah, I've said he's he's going to be an X factor. Not 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 that they can get by without it. They can't. Mm-hmm. He's got to be good for them to win. And hopefully, I'm pretty sure Pop's going to play him some minutes, some solid minutes. I hope so because I do think he's a he's a big key. Um, I think he's earned Pop's trust because he was really good last series. Uh, we'll see what happens with Dejounte because mm-hmm. I I do think I just think they're going to have to um, switch it up a little bit. They're going to have to try some some things. Yeah. They're not going to be able to just roll out what they rolled out for most of the year and have it work. Definitely. Yeah. Um, all right, Mort. I'm going to turn this one to you. The Spurs had the best defense in the league this year. The Warriors had the best offense in the league. Do you think the Spurs have any chance of slowing down this Warriors death assault? Slowing down, yes. Winning, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think they need to give, you know, Dwayne Dedman more minutes this series. Mm-hmm. He's really going to be a necessity. And also offensively speaking, because he can roll to the basket. He can, you know, grab lobs, and they need to get some points in the paint. They really do. Uh, and hopefully they get their free ball going, but they're not going to be able to stop that offense. Like they they have to respond offensively, most yeah. mostly. Uh, having said that, if they can shave some points off of the of the total for for the dub series wise, that's going to be huge. I'm not sure how they're going to do it, especially if because here's the thing. The, the Warriors are just so good at identifying weaknesses. They're going to zero in on Pau immediately. They're going to look at all the things that he does wrong, and they're going to exploit the, exploit them into until you know Pop just benches him. That's going to be mm-hmm. a thing. So I wonder if the best bet for San Antonio is to go small, and then run mm-hmm. Detman at the five, Kawhi at the four, Jonathan Simmons at the three, and then fill it out with Danny and. I don't know, maybe Deontay? I'm not sure. Like, mm. Because he's athletic and he's cat quick. So you might yeah. be able to live off of that. But no, you're not going to stop that epic offense. Like, yeah. How are you going to stop KD when he's isolating? How are you going to stop you know, Clay when he's just moving around the goddamn court? Like, right. <laughs> he's going to get those shots either way, right? Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're basically hoping for them to have an off-shooting series. Yeah, right. That's that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> so it sounds like we're all taking the Warriors. Sarah, how many games do you see this one going? <sighs> I've gone back and forth. My official prediction was going to be Warriors in five. But you know what? It's, it's worth it. I'm just going to live on the wild side. <laughs> Why not? I'm going to go out with my boots on. Uh... Spurs in six. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah. Finally. I've been nice. waiting for that. Come on. <laughs> That's had nice. No confidence in the Spurs against the Rockets, but now against the Warriors. <laughs> you, you know what? Going all in. Brian, you know what? Sarah just tricked us all throughout the podcast. She was just know, waiting. Right? What a this was play. a setup. Like, all year long, it's like, oh, I don't know. I'm kind of afraid <laughs> to put them in this situation. It feels wrong. I'm going to jinx them. And then in this one series that they're probably going to end up losing, she just goes, right. Spurs in six, y'all. Come on. See, you can jinx the favorite. I don't know that you can jinx the underdog. That's true. Yeah, that's fair. Probably not. So why right. not? That's fair. Yeah. I kind of yeah. like that. That's true. Uh, Mort, are you, are you slow playing me too, or you have the Warriors in this one? <laughs> I, I, I have the dubs in six, 
and I okay. went on the record already and said it on People Breakdown, but right now, when I, I'm hearing Sarah's enthusiasm, I want to get <laughs> caught up in it, but then I remember that you talked me into the Raptors going to the finals, so I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to go up with all the hype here but uh let me just put it this way i think it's gonna be the warriors in six i'm hoping it's gonna be the spurs in seven mm. oh hoping. my god all hoping. Right. well i am going to rain on both of your parades because i have the warriors in five <laughs> yeah i just yeah. <laughs> i don't know i hope you guys are right because i do want this to be more i really don't expect them to win no. yeah, i really no, don't right. it could, he, but, it could be a sweep like it really yeah, could right it really <laughs> could I, I i'm gonna go gentlemen sweep warriors in five um okay so we can't preview the eastern conference finals again thank you john wall let's just ask this mort Regardless of who wins Game Seven, does either team have a chance against Cleveland? Yes. Oh, which one Ooh. or both? <laughs> Washington. Nice. I I'm like I'm dicking what Washington is doing right now because it seems like they are just clicking. And Bradley Beal and John Wall, whatever. I don't know if that beef was legitimate. <laughs> yeah, right. I have no idea. I don't care. I just know that right now, those two seem like boys. Like, they mm-hmm. really do. They seem like mm-hmm. those two are in tune, and they're friendly, and it seems that, that chemistry is really showing on the basketball court, which is mostly essential. Otto yeah. Porter is this version, this era's version of Sean Marion, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. You have Markeith Morris, who can stretch the floor. You have Marching Gortat, who can really, you know, punish you inside. I think it's the best bet. I'm not sure that they could win... Like against Cleveland because you know the LeBrons are amazing, <laughs> but I think they put could put a scare into him. And I, I'm this is just a theory of mine. Bear with me. I do think that LeBron James is. Stay with me now because it's going to sound ridiculous. I think he's human. I think he's what? actually of the human race, which means there is like a small risk of him actually being human in a playoff series and if that happens that's you know however unlikely and trust Mm -hmm. me it is definitely unlikely (laughs) right i think washington is the one team that could exploit that fact the most Mm. yeah because of their guard play because that's a weakness for cleveland especially that and also weakness right and also because when you look at boston they have one guy like, offensively yeah. speaking. I love yeah. Al Horford. He's doing well. Like, Avery Bradley is a surprising scorer, but they have that one guy who mm-hmm. can routinely create something for him, and that's just not enough. As much yeah. as I like, I love, I love, actually, Isaiah Thomas. He is one of the most, you know, intoxicating players to watch. I'm just not putting all my eggs in a basket that stands five foot nine. <laughs> right. Over right. the course of a playoff series, if you have LeBron on the other end. That's fair. Uh, Sarah, do you give any either of these teams a chance, or do you think Cleveland is definitely going to the finals? Yeah, I definitely think Washington could get a game or two off of them, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I'd really give them a, a solid chance to win the series. Um, I, I Cleveland's just been so dominant. And I know, I know Mort is suggesting that perhaps LeBron could be human, <laughs> but... We've seen no evidence thus far to really support that. So, 
Yeah, yeah. no, I, I would go Cleveland regardless. I, I thought coming into the playoffs, though, that there was a chance they might not make it to the finals, but but that's all kind of gone now. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think they're going. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think if I had to pick it today, I would say Cleveland and Boston over five, Cleveland and Washington over six. I do, I'm with you, Mort, in thinking Washington has a better shot, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, unless LeBron decides to pull a James Harden and not show up for a game. Uh, it's going to be, I just, it seems like we're headed toward Cavs Warriors three, which I don't know why people are not excited about as if those last two series haven't both been fantastic. Like <laughs> the last year's series was one of the most memorable in recent memory. And yet people are like, Oh damn, we're going to have another Cavs Warriors series. So it's because this dude named Kevin Durant, Right. And the Cavs, the Cavs defense has been really, really. I like. I don't see if it can get to the level that it got to uh, last year. That's fair. That's the only reason. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, all right, let's turn our attention now to Sixers Christmas, the NBA draft lottery, and the NBA draft. Oh uh, no, no, no! NBA Christmas, like over here, it's second Christmas. The NBA draft is always second Christmas. We but all get presents. But it's Sixers Christmas, or it could be Sixers Christmas this year, especially because, you know, Sam Hinkie's machinations over the last, like, four or five years could all really come into play Tuesday night. Don't you dare get Markel. Don't you dare. (laughs) Let's talk about the combine quickly first, and then we're going to use Tankathon to simulate a draft lottery and briefly go over that. Mm. So, Mort... Any major takeaways from Combine, whether winners and losers from 5-on-5 five five play, anyone stand out from the measurements, etc.? Jonathan Jean is 7'2 in shoes. He's got a wingspan, wingspan of 7'6 and a half. And his standing reach is 9, you know, nine feet 5 and a half inches. Mm. I don't know how you top that. I like I, that measurement alone is amazing. Then comes the fact that he is actually an improving three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that to me sounds like a guy who can come into this league, probably take a couple of years, and then potentially become a star. And right now, he's rated. I haven't checked the DX's uh, mock draft, but I, I don't think he's that high up. Mm-hmm. So that's one takeaway I have there. Um, like he was the one guy that really stood out to me. Okay, sounds right. I know uh, the kid from Kentucky, the rising right. freshman. He, um, I mean, it sounds like his athletic testing was off the charts. And John Calipari gave a great quote that if he goes in the lottery, John Calipari is retiring. Yeah, there's nothing more he could do if he if he can just sign a player and literally not have him play at Kentucky, not play a single minute in college, and still get him drafted in the lottery. Fair. I don't know what you what more you can do there. So I'm um, not really perfect in this pronunciation. I'm gonna butcher it, but his name is Hamidou Diallo, right? It sounds right. I have yeah. yeah. I'll learn how to say it in the next month, probably. Oh yeah, there, there are like a couple of names in yeah, this draft. Yeah. This is a particularly tough one when it comes to pronunciation. Stacy King yeah. is gonna have to retire. Oh god, yeah, that's gonna be fantastic. Um, all right, let's talk about... So Markel Fultz, the presumptive number one overall pick, 
The only team in, among the top eight that he refused to meet with at the Combine is Orlando, mm-hmm. which just doesn't bode well for Orlando. But I'm sure if Orlando ends up winning the draft lottery on Tuesday, that stance will change. Uh, according to Chad Ford of ESPN.com, prospects also refused to meet with the Kings because they're just a, still a disaster. And one agent was just like, this would be complete mismanagement if I let my clients go there. Um and the Celtics, surprisingly, because, you know, at first you think, well, you know, the, my prospect's going to go to a 50-win team, like, he's, you know, he has a chance to win a ring within the next year or two, but then, you know, think about most teams, if you've got a top three, top four pick, you suck, so you're going to get a guy who's supposed to be the face of your franchise, he's going to play a lot of minutes, he's going to get a lot of exposure, then get a huge second contract. The Celtics... You know, especially if they get a top two pick and draft a point guard, you got like four or five other guys they need, need to beat out on the roster. I mean, that, that may only be the case for a year, but there's a lot of... <laughs> that that depth chart is very crowded in every position. So, more, do you think, because of that, should Boston, you know, assuming it does not win the number one pick on Tuesday, should the Celtics be even more... Uh, should they should they try to trade that pick? Basically, should they be more willing to part with it? You know, I'm going to say yes, and I've said that for a long time. But Celtics mm. fans have repeatedly come after me after me uh, in regards to this with the argument, and this is a fair argument, that they could not only have like a top rookie, even if they finish fourth in the lottery, right? Then they'll also have enough cap space to get a guy, so they could get. Yeah two guys whereas if they trade the pick for a guy earning like a lot of money that mm. would just turn into being one guy as opposed to two mm. I see yeah. that is fair logic honestly so it makes yeah. sense having said that we all know the draft isn't a guarantee right if you could get a guy like an all-star caliber player and he just fits like a glove right into mm-hmm. your team you gotta do it, Paul yeah. George, for like the fourth pick. Right. I mean, I know there's the whole risk of him leaving. I get that. Mm-hmm. But don't tell me that if he somehow wins a ring there, that he'll be like, "Nope, going to the Lakers." <laughs> right. Right. Not, right. I don't right. think that's happening. Like, if you could get a Paul George for the fourth pick, mm-hmm. you gotta do it. Yeah. Even if you have yeah. to attach assets as well, like a right, Terry right. Rozier. Yeah, you probably have to attach something of Definitely. value, but yeah, but yeah, I would think I would be. I'm with you in that regard. Um, this, yeah, because you know, I, I think back to the Sixers in 2010. They had the number two pick, and at the time, it was like, hey, we got Evan Turner. He's a better Andre Iguodala. And now, look at him later. You know, six years down the line, and it's like Evan Turner's making how much money? Yeah. And, <laughs> Uh, and he's he's now basically an albatross in Portland. So. Did anyone outside of Philly fans say that? At, the, at the time? Yeah, yeah, that was a two-person draft at the time. Because yeah, DeMarcus I, I, Cousins was, I mean, he was the second best prospect based on talent. But he already had the questionable, you know, the, <laughs> the intangible question marks. Which have remained a question to this date. Um, and at the time, the Sixers coach was Doug Collins, 
there was no way Doug Collins and DeMarcus Cousins were going to coexist well. The, the, what we should have realized is, hey, fire the coach. The prospect's <laughs> going to be around longer. Instead, they took Evan Turner. In the well, it was a three-man draft then because John Wall went first. Right, John Wall was first. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm not. I mean, removing him from the equation. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, yeah. And then, it, yeah, it was. If, right. Yeah, oh God, if we had gotten number one, that would not have been a question. But at number two, it right. was Turner, Demarcus Cousins, Derek Favors was in there as well. Oh, um, he was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wesley but, Johnson. Hey. Everyone thought he would be <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I think you're right in saying, you know, the draft is a crapshoot. Mm. Like, if you get the number four pick, you're probably getting Jason Tatum, most likely, right? Right. And the best case scenario Carmelo. is that Jason Tatum develops into, yeah, for, fine, Carmelo, Paul George, develops into that caliber of player. But that's not going to happen for, what, five years at least? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, well... I don't know. I think we've seen like developments being sped up a little, so maybe not five years, but definitely in that range, like three yeah. to five years. So they are, have to wait, and at that point in time, Al Horford is going to be old, right. and yeah. Isaiah Thomas is probably going to be old as well. So yeah. I'm just going to plug a little piece I wrote for FanRag regarding the draft. Please uh, do. I uh, wrote a piece called Trading Down is a Smart Strategy for Teams in the Middle of the Round 1, mm. because... Mm-hmm. This draft, after the top 10 or so guys, everyone from, like, the 10th or 12th pick down to, like, the latest parts of the first round, like, 30th, mm-hmm. they can go, like, wherever. Because that's just right. one big pile of players that could go whichever direction. Yeah. So if you are, like, a mid-range team, like a Miami drafting 14th, assuming they don't win the lottery. Like, let's just mm-hmm. stick with the 14th there. It might be worthwhile trading that 14th for number 22 and 27 for Brooklyn. Mm. All depending on Brooklyn falling in love with someone that they need to get a little bit earlier in the draft. Because mm-hmm. if it's a crapshoot anyway, not, why not get two as opposed to one? Right. Like that is, That's a strategy that could be utilized. Not for Boston specifically because they need a game changer. Yeah. But now that we're on the subject of the draft... I feel as though that's an important part that's going to play in because I have a feeling that a lot of teams would be willing to move like later round picks, mm-hmm. so they could get like more quantity of players in, especially because For this sure. draft is projected to be deep. Yeah. So in that regard, I'm kind of thinking Boston could theoretically get in on that if they if they draft fourth. That's mm-hmm. not Alonzo Ball. That's not a Markel Fultz. That's right. like you said, a Jason Tatum. Yeah. So why not maybe trade down for like two mid-first round picks and some some young guy like who's really effing good yeah. because all those guys are going to be cost controlled anyway right and then you have the foundation to move forward which it seems like they're hell bent on doing for some reason even though they signed Al Horford <laughs> right right which so let's just take Horford out of the equation that would give them a ridiculous building block for the future mm-hmm. then yeah. it just Comes to, then you just have to figure out like what do we do from there? Like do we play both sides? Do we go right. development or do we go win now or do we tow it like the Bulls try to do only better? Right. It seems like that's their strategy, and we should know at Sacramento if they don't move up, they have eight and ten. So maybe that's right. a possible trade partner for. But yeah, I mean, based on especially going back to your article for a minute, a number of teams have 
multiple picks in the late first round. Like, Utah has two in the 20s. Portland has two in the 20s. So I could see that if they fall in love with someone at 16, 17. Yeah. Trade those two late 20s picks and move up. That's yeah, a, the Jazz that's have, a good call. The Jazz have 24th and 30th, which is still, yeah. like, great precision. But, you know, the, the guys who could run away winners of this draft, mm-hmm. Portland. Because they have two late picks and they have a mid-range pick, like a mid-first-round yep. pick. If mm-hmm. they ship that mid-first-round pick to Brooklyn for 22 mm-hmm. and 27, then they're going to have four picks in the 20s. And, like, someone is going to be there who would probably, under normal circumstances, be a lottery pick. Maybe even yeah. a couple of guys. Like, mm-hmm. they... And they... Like, look, Portland needs a starting small forward. They need a backup point guard. They need a hell of a lot of things, like, to round out their team. Mm-hmm. So if they trade down with that one mid-first-round pick that they're going to have, like, good lord, they could fill a lot of holes. Yeah. Yeah. I think roster space might be an issue, but they could always draft and stash one or two of those guys. So Exactly. They're, yeah. They're, we'll, we'll definitely have some reaction to the actual lottery next week and the implications and whatnot. I was going to talk about LeVar Ball today, but then I... A, I hate talking about LeVar Ball, and B, I think it actually makes more sense to table that until after the lottery so we know kind of which team is in position to get him. So, Mort, without further ado, I'm about to open your... Mort ran, before we start recording, he ran a simulation on Tankathon uh, just so we can play out a fake lottery quickly. So I'm about to open it. Oh, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate it. I've stayed quiet. <laughs> and, okay, so in this fake simulation, Orlando <laughs> wins the number one pick. <laughs> Which we just talked about with Markel Fools not wanting yeah. to talk to him. Right, he would probably go talk to them then. Boston is two, Phoenix is three, Sixers are four via the Lakers, and five, and then everything else stays the same. Yep. So, more, let's just run through a fake top seven or eight quickly. Let's do it. Orlando, you're going false. You gotta. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Boston is on the clock at number two. What do you do if you're Boston? Lonzo Ball. Okay. Oh, my God. Let, please, God, let that happen. I want nothing more than LeVar Ball to be on that team. Uh, <laughs> so Phoenix at number three. You're going Josh Jackson? Oh, I think I'm going to reach for Jason Tatum there. Ooh, interesting. What makes you say Tatum over Josh? Uh, I, I'm honestly not sure. It's because of the organization, I think. Mm, Just because okay. it's it's a need thing. They they need to have that versatile scorer. Josh Jackson mm. is looking like he would be better suited for a team that's more established, because okay. he's not a high scorer. He's more he's sort of like a Draymond. He can come in and handle the ball. He can rebound. He can run. But he's not a guy who can take over. And Jason mm. Tatum's development, I feel, would be sped up a lot if he ended up in Phoenix. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So then Sixers are on the clock at four and five. Right. <laughs> you make two picks for Brian Colangelo. Fire away. Well, obviously Josh Jackson there, even though... Josh it, four. Yeah. yeah, but that's... It's going to be tricky, though, because then he's going to have to split time with both Sarich and Ben Simmons. It's You know, there's going to be a little bit of a lockjam there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we're familiar with that. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> And, and then, you know, I'm actually going to stick to it with uh, with DX's mock draft because I am in love with De'Aaron Fox, even though he can't. Ooh. Yeah, I, I know we've spoken about this before. The shooting woes are there. 
mm-hmm. but I can't get over the fact of how good his release looks. And I can mm-hmm. al- I also can't get over the fact that when he shoots, that ball is like right there. Yeah. Like so he you just think needs it's to... not his shot's not broken. It it's just not broken. Tweaking. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's look, it's minor tweaks. If mm-hmm. he ended up with San Antonio, he would probably end up his rookie year and you know shoot thirty seven percent a la Kawhi. <laughs> right. Like Chip would just go, "Hey, De'Aaron, come to me, my son. I will teach you the gift. <laughs> Move your hand two inches, and yeah. you're going to hit forty five percent." Yeah, exactly. Like I think yeah. the shot is there. I just think okay. it's it's a matter of of just nurturing it a little bit. Yeah, and it's worth noting he just annihilated. Lonzo Ball in the Sweet 16 mm-hmm. during that matchup. It was 39 points to 10. So, right. Yeah, it sounds like De'Aaron Fox has been one of the high risers since, I mean, frankly, since the tournament, but nothing has changed in the two months since. It sounds like he's, yeah. it would be a surprise if he's outside of the top six, top seven. Uh, okay, so Minnesota now on the clock at six. Malik Monk. I like it. Because here's the thing he is not a creator, he's a jump shooter. Yep. And he he's kind of like what what Clay Thompson was before Clay developed his ball handling skills. Mm, you can okay. live with that when you have that many players around you who can mm-hmm. do things with the ball. Like Carl Anthony Towns can handle the ball. Andrew Wiggins will handle the ball, even though he needs to brush up on it a little bit. When Zach Levine comes back, he'll handle the ball. All depending on Ricky Rubio returning or not, he'll handle the ball. That's fine. Malik Monk can be that Reggie Miller type, you know, running off screens, like Reggie Miller slash Rip Hamilton guy, coming off a bunch of back screens and then spotting up because Lord knows that jumper is legit. Mm-hmm. That yeah. would fit and, in. And he'd be fed by Rubio for the time being and then Chris right. Dunn long term. So, it's yeah, they, they could have their backcourt of the future. Well, I'm not sure about Chris Dunn anymore, but we can take oh, that no. in a, in a that's, later that's draft. For another day. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, Zach Levine is recovering from the ACL, so that gives them some insurance at the mm. two. That, that would be a fun pick there. Um, okay, let's do New York at seven. See, I want to pick someone really bad just <laughs> because it's New York, but I'm not going right. to do that. I think Dennis Smith. Mm, Okay. I'm going to reach a little bit because Dennis Mm -hmm. Smith is an explosive athlete. And Mm -hmm. he's one of those scoring point guards. And I've I've seen quite a few games with him. And he he strikes me as one of those guys who could have sort not quite a Derrick Rose career, but one of those scoring lead guards who could end up averaging like 20, 23 and six assists. Yeah. Like one of those guys. And, you know... New York seems to love their scores, and <laughs> so why not? It makes sense. And they desperately need a point guard unless they, they want to bring Derrick Rose back. Exactly. So why not get like the next guy, the next Derrick right. Rose type? Yeah, I know there are a couple Sixers writers out there who write for Liberty Ballers that are very high on Dennis Smith. So yeah. that you did not make a bad pick for New York as much as you wanted to. Uh, so Sacramento at eight. Let's stop there. Are you gonna are you gonna finish? With Jonathan Isaac stopping yeah, I his draft day slide? There yeah, you go. I okay. am, obviously. Uh, I just I feel bad for Jonathan now because I, I just ruined his development. <laughs> right, yeah. Poor, poor Jonathan going to the Kings. Like, look, if, if the Kings end up with 8 and 10, I'm going to be so mm-hmm. sad because that means there are two guys in the draft who's going to get messed up. Right. That's yeah. really how I look at it now. Yeah. That's, that's really sad. 
That's how agents are looking at it, yeah, apparently. Apparently, yeah. And, I mean, you know, well, there is the hope that, <laughs> you know, they would trade one of those guys a year or two down the line once Vivek sours on them and realizes they're not all Steph Curry clones like he did with Nick Stauskas. But, mm-hmm. yeah, especially for a developmental prospect like Isaac, that's about the worst situation he could end up in. One, two, three. Jonathan Rooks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll right, never so, get tired of that one. Never. No, no. That was, yeah, we, <laughs> that will never stop being funny. Uh, so, just a reminder to everyone that the draft lottery is Tuesday. I believe it will be before game two of the Western Conference Finals. So, watch that. Pray for the Sixers. Pray for hilarity. I think the, the funniest outcome would be like Sacramento winning the lottery, so then the Sixers take that pick. New Orleans going. New Orleans going two, so they keep their pick. Phoenix going three, so Boston falls to four. Uh, and then the Lakers giving their pick to the six. No, no, I'm going to beat you now. I am going to beat you with this one. Okay. The true winner of the lottery has to be Dallas because they've done it right. They were awful, mm. and they deserve some good luck right now because of the way that they've rebuilt. Markel falls in Dallas. Forget about it. I would love that. That would be fun. Yeah, and then Nerlens would have a real point guard for the first time in his. And there we have the Sixers spin again. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. All right. So everyone, check out Spurs Warriors today. Game seven tomorrow. Draft lottery Tuesday. It's a good time to be an NBA fan. Uh, Thanks again for listening to the NBA podcast. Just remember to follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find all three of our handles in our in the Twitter bio, so check us out as well. You can find us on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe, download, leave some reviews, and you can find our iTunes link at the bottom of our audio boom player if you're listening to this on FanRag Sports, where we're being hosted this year. So check FanRag out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. As always, I'm Brian Tapork, and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. Sarah, good luck to your Spurs today. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Take care, Take guys. Take easy, guys. Bye. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clothes. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.